Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns and with us today we have got Dave Hartnett. Hi Dave. Hi Michelle. Hi everyone. How are we all doing? Great. It's great to have you on. So Dave, you're from Mountbatten Estates and you have worked with us on our uh, YPN Total Development Training Programme. And uh, I've I've been really, really, uh, it's been really interesting to get an insight into what you do in terms of uh, land acquisition as uh, one of your main strategies and uh, the development world, but particularly when working with with owners who perhaps they've got some land and they're not sure what to do with it, or uh, there might be some opportunity to work together. So uh, a really interesting topic. We haven't really covered it anything like this for a while on the podcast so I thought we'd invite you on just to share for people we've uh, you know obviously the one of the hot strategies is, is service accommodation and um, amongst other things rent 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 to SA but uh, development is a different ball game would you agree? <laughs> it certainly is um, it's you know I I live and breathe this this uh, this industry if I'm very honest with you and yes it is uh, a completely different beast as it were but what you'll often find is um with bigger deals there's bigger money with bigger money you're implying better professionals um so it's 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 a bit of a weird one that the bigger the deal the less risky it is because more people contribute to it if that makes any sense um but um yeah that's 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 what we do you know we uh with developers first and foremost we do developments but yeah, we're we're really skillful in finding off-market developments, building relationships with vendors, landowners, and we've got a lot of um, planning knowledge. And I like to bring that to the table because I think in this day and age, it's quite risky just to have one exit, which is to build out. You know, that's why I'm not a massive fan of just buying consented schemes if you're lucky enough to get them to, to you know the stack in the first place. I think people should have an understanding of the planning system so they can add value through PD or permitted development or, you know, full planning. And then that gives you multiple options. You can trade on to the developers. Um, you can sell on to, to, to people who have an interest in buying from you, or, you know, you can build out, you have multiple options, which means that, you know, it's, it's less risky for you. Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think it's something that people do miss, whether they're just looking at uh, building from the ground up as a, as a new build or any sort of planning gain or, or doing a development uh, project in itself. So, um, but for people who are new to, let's say they've not done a development, you know, yet, yeah. or uh, they're curious about it. Um, how do you sit? Did you jump straight into the kind of development world or did you go through a journey of buy to lets and then commercial and then build up to uh, where you are today 
That's uh, a good question, Michelle. So uh, I did cut my teeth when it came to bytelets and HMOs uh, quite a few years back. Um, I didn't really push it that hard because um, I was um, uh, employed, you know, I was in, uh, involved in, in finance and then um, involved with a state agency. Um, so I really kind of had a full-time job, really. Um, but it was something I did um, quietly on the background, never took it too seriously, but, you know, I did a little bit of money from it and saw some uh, capital appreciation through, you know, the many, many years that I held the properties. Um, I actually sold all that to go into buying in estate agents. Um, and that's really where I kind of took property seriously, I guess. Um, and I owned an estate agency. It was in London. It was, I bought it, that, it was going for 23 years before I bought it. So um, it had a huge lettings book, but unfortunately the, the lady never concentrated on sales. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, there's an angle there. I could see straight away. Um, we can build up the sales and that'll be an income generator uh, that's not factored into the business. And with, with, with businesses of this kind of character, let um, it's pro, pro, predominantly valued on its lettings book because that's the real value because sales okay. can fall out of bed. Um, but having a, a recurring income coming in every single month before you open the doors is quite significant, you know, quite important. So it's valued off a lettings book and it had um, a lot of properties under management over, you can imagine over 23 years, how many she built up. Um, and then there was no other agent in the area doing uh, land and new homes or commercial properties. And I saw that, I saw that as a potential uh, value add as well. So I set up a, uh, um, a land new homes and a commercial element and that kind of took off, you know, it was really popular. And it was really that land and new homes that really gave me a real insight and a real taste for doing developments and it was a it was quite weird i was finding the, these plots of land sourcing them onto developers charging a fee uh they would get their planning and i would start selling the 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 units off plan through my estate agents and then half the people who bought the units off plan were investors so that kind of fit my lettings arm as well um but i, I just couldn't get over how I kind of maybe sourced on a piece of land for a million pound and then he got some planning and then he was either selling it on to someone else or he was building out and he was turning a, a million pound site into four or five million. I just couldn't wrap my head around the numbers that were involved. So I thought, okay, maybe that's something I need to explore. And I think whatever industry you're in, you need to be, you need to have a real handle on the regulations and what are the potential issues and obstacles and um, changes to that industry that might come out over the next few years. And I knew Brexit was in the horizon. The tenant fee ban was talked about and Section 24, which um, which forced a lot of uh, uh, landlords into registering all their uh, buy-to-lets within a company structure. I, I knew you know that could have a, a negative effect. Um, so I sold out the agency and actually went into development. Uh, and that's really why I went into it and how I went into it. Um, I'm uh, coming to your question, I guess, about first time uh, people going into this interest in, in industry for the first time. It is kind of high risk, um, but obviously high rewards. And I would encourage anyone to seriously look at it because it's completely changed my life. But it, it needs to be done with a, a bit of foresight. So you need to know what you're doing. And I would definitely encourage people to get a good proper understanding of the planning system. That's what gave me a competitive edge over everyone else. Why? Because 
um, you know, I was working very, very, very closely with a planning consultant and I learned absolutely everything I could learn about permitted development, the youth class order, all the new changes coming out with PD, um, what I could and couldn't do with certain buildings, what are all the kind of constraints such as um, flood zone, Article 4, conservation areas, green belt that would stop that development being taken forward. And even delving a little bit further and looking at uh, a local plan. What's a local plan? You know, the council, it's basically a, a document that the council has to produce that tells you what they want and don't want and where they want the development, where they don't want it. So it's, it's really been armed with all that information. And that's what really uh, allowed me to, deep dive into an area, find those good opportunities, know that the opportunities I was finding the council would like. And even the, I mean, every every development comes with potential issues. So it's about being a good problem solver as well. And I knew that those problems could be resolved because I had that planning edge. And that's basically, um, that's that's how I started. That's that's what kind of got me uh, to, 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 to where I am today, really. Hopefully that kind of makes sense a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting just to see, you know, people's journeys of how they've got into development because it's not always um, on that kind of pathway. It's usually much later on for anyone who does start off with the um, more cash flow strategies of, of rent to rent or SA or whatever. Um, so just to understand a bit more about what it is you do how much is like percentage wise of your um projects are actually building out a, a project so like new build or um Conversions. converting a project versus just planning gain and then selling it on um that's a really good question um if you'd asked me that question a year ago, I would say 100% of everything I look at, I build out. Um, it has changed in the last year, and I'll tell you why. Um, markets changed a little bit. Um, we're doing much larger deals now, which means uh, I need to raise a lot more money than what I've previously had to, to, to do and fund myself, uh, which means I'm working with investors now. Um, and as a consequence of that, um, I need to be mindful of any changes to the market. So with that in mind, I think um, for every kind of two development, sorry, for every three developments we do now, I think we build two and we flip one or we build two and we get planning and we flip, we flip one. So it's, it's changed to a bit of a hybrid now that we build some, but I'm actually hoping to even flip that to flipping two and building one, if I'm very honest with you, because um, I've just seen how, quicker and easier the whole process of just getting planning and selling a site on compared to finding a site getting the planning which takes a year or so then spending another two or three years building it out and then you're getting paid every four or five years granted it's obviously a larger payday but the problem with developing out everything is you're at the the whim of the market so if yeah. interest rates go up or if the you know the market changes or if you have to reduce your gdv or if build cost goes up you know, all these come off your profit. It's not coming off anywhere else. Um, yeah. So um, I think people need to be mindful of not building everything out, but certainly flipping a few, few sites. You mean you don't even have to go through the planning process. There's sites that we find that we flip on. We don't actually um, add any value to. It's just, it's bought really well. It's bought below market value. We know we can flip it for X amount of money. It hasn't cost us anything. Um, but it's good for cash flow, and I think if you're in, if you're going to be a developer, you certainly um, one of the biggest things I would um, stress to everyone is they need to be mindful of cash flow. It's quite an expensive game. You know, there's lots of 
solicitors and QSs and project managers and surveys to be factored in and letters to be sent people to to be uh you know to to, uh, to meet and offers to be made um it, it's going to take a little while to actually get up and get systemized and get running and get the you know the wheels in traction so it's going to take a certain amount of money to get to that stage so certainly having i mean i i always recommend to everyone have a bit of a cash flow system coming in in the background don't just give up everything to be a developer because if it takes you like a year or two to find a development and do a deal, that's a very, very long time when you've got no money coming in. So if you, like you mentioned earlier, some people maybe um, uh, evolve to doing this from maybe a rent to rent or rent to SA or buy to let the HMOs, maybe they cut their teeth on that. So I would strongly suggest that you have a portion of that still in your life, have something good coming in while you uh, get the uh, the development business up and running. Yeah. Or I suppose people could just work with investors or work with joint venture partners who perhaps don't have the time or the inclination to learn all of these skills. Um, So you could work with somebody else or I suppose just work with someone like yourself. So if people find a site and I I come across it all the time where, you know, they, they people see an opportunity or perhaps they are direct to vendor on something and they and then they don't know what to do with it. It's too big. So do you find people come to you with these deals and and say, OK, help, what do I do now? <laughs> I, I reckon about half my week, <laughs> half my week every week um, is basically um, troubleshooting like this. It's OK. I mean, I, I mean, I mentor uh, quite a few people. And um, as you know, I've got this system where uh, we've trained VAs to, to find sites, not just for me, but also to find sites for other developers. Um, those developers they tend to find a lot of sites. And like you quite rightly mentioned, some of those sites um, are slightly bigger than what they, they they feel comfortable with. Maybe it's either a different area, different size, a little bit too big, maybe a little bit too expensive. Maybe they don't know the planning. Maybe they don't have the right team to be able to put together. Maybe they don't have the right funding to be able to package a deal uh, like this up and, and, and get it up and running. So um, yeah, certainly that's where where I can add a lot of value to and uh, bring a lot of, a lot of value to the table. What does that look like? So I'm thinking, you know, personally, I've got somewhere in mind that you know I had a contact um, and it was a big hotel and it's just still sat there, you know, and I, I drive past it every now and then and think, God, I need to get in touch with the owner and yeah. see if there's anything there. But really, I just don't have time for something like that. It's not my skill set. It's uh, I'm sure I could pull to the team together if I wanted to. But, you know, a, a big 12 month, 18 month project like that yeah. just isn't where I'm at right now. So um, so how would that look if people brought a deal like that to you? What what could they expect in terms of working with yourself and your team? OK, so this is quite typical of a lot of developers uh, where people bring them sites um, uh, um, sporadically. So every deal is different. Um, there's going to be a lot of moving parts with that deal. Um, I guess first you need to explore what can and can't be done with it. And then we need to um, go through that, ascertain if the, the planning can be done. And if it can, then we're at a stage of identifying all right, how many apartments or co-living units or commercial can we get out of that building? And then it's a, it's going to be a, a case of working with the architects and to design something that might be fit for purpose for that site. And then once we have a, a sensible approach for that site, then we need to analyze it and speak to the agents and you know get a good appraisal for the site and work backwards to try and get that site accepted. Now, 
you are going to be working with a investor or a large investor or maybe maybe a few different investors they'll need a return uh then obviously the developer that you're partnering with will need a return as well because obviously he's he's got to take that true from an initial idea or concept right through to either getting the planning or getting the planning and and developing out as well so there's going to be a good minimum a year working on the planning maybe even uh, another add on another two years or so to go through that whole build phase so that developer is going to be working on the project for, th for three years um there's going to be a lot of moving parts a lot of different professionals adding a lot of value along the way lots of different investors site visits then selling all the units paying back the banks there's a lot of work that goes into it so you know unfortunately some people who bring a site to the table think well i just want a 50 50. <laughs> <laughs> and but it's not as simple as that if you no, look no, at no. If you look at the huge amount of work that goes into it from all the professionals, the developers, the banks, the investors, the investors want to return, the banks want to return, all the professionals are quite expensive to work with. Then there's a developer's time. And the uh, risk. And the risk, because you, know, uh, you bring a site to a developer, no one ever thinks about the risk. So what's the risk? If What happens if the, the market uh, turns? What happens if bill costs goes up? What happens if... I mean, the banks won't just give you money. The bank will want to that developer to personal, you know, do a personal guarantee on the site. So you're going to have to guarantee at least twenty percent uh, uh, of the equity that's going to be raised. That's that could be quite a big chunk of funds. Um. Uh, so, so long story short, um, is, is it that, straightforward? So, like a sourcing fee, uh, and and do, would the person get that? at the end once it's completed or is there a, is there a way of of getting like an equity share or anything like that so i guess this is a conversation that the person's going to need to have with a developer um i've seen so many different ways of structuring a deal one it, the simplest way is you get a finder's fee and that can typically typically be between maybe one and two percent of the purchase price um then there is uh you can get a uh uh, a finder's fee together with maybe like a kind of earn and learn or uh, learn and invest type uh, scenario where you you still get paid a fee on completion of the legal the, the legal paperwork um, but you're along for the journey and this can be really valuable for people starting out because yeah. they learn the planning system they make some great contacts they come on site tours and site visits they meet other investors who are involved in the project which potentially can maybe join venture with them at a later stage on a different project they um they just get to see all the moving parts of the development over the course of say two or three years which is invaluable uh, and meet some banks along the way who come out to some of these uh, side tours. So um, that can be really, really valuable, like I said. So that's that's another um, way of doing it. I have even seen it in the past where someone maybe gets a 2% finder's fee, but they only take one now and they invest the other 1% in the development, which means they actually get more than the 1% at the end of three years. Um, I've, I've even seen it in the past where um, on some of the larger deals, they find this fee was um, four hundred and fifty thousand, and instead of taking it as um, a, a lump of cash, the um, the, the 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 sourcer took it as uh, one apartment from the development. So there's oh, so yeah. many different ways, yeah. like clever ways you can structure deals. It's it's like it's, it's about having a conversation, to see what 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 will work for everyone. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love just you know seeing what goes on and uh, what are the possibilities, as you say, for someone who are just who's just coming in they might just think okay just get the sourcing fee and that's it but actually 
it might be interesting to do that earn and learn or um or another way around it where you're getting to keep part of the development so um before you just mentioned about how uh, you know you send half of your week just kind of going through troubleshooting all of these uh are there any deals that stand out for you in terms of you look at it and think that's a no-brainer let's go straight into that and if so what are they Um, something that's a no-brainer to me would be something that is vacant on or in and around a high street location in a commuter belt town or in London. Um, and it's of a decent size. So what I mean there is it's probably um, in excess of, say, 5,000 square feet. The reason being... Um, I know something like that would be really attractive for a number of reasons. One, it's vacant. Why is why is that important? Well, all the new PD now, uh, PD rules, it has to be vacant before you can submit your PD application. That's one of the new changes that came out a couple of years ago before you could just have a tenant in there, put in your planning application, get your PD and then kick the tenants out and then do your your development. That's all changed now because they didn't like the the government didn't like the idea of, of, of you forcing tenants out. Um, so vacant, why in and around uh, kind of high street location? Well, transport links, accessibility, uh, loads of uh, uh, local amenity on the doorsteps of shops, bars, restaurants. Um, it's going to be, you're going to be converting a building. So it's going to be flats and who moves into the flats? It tends to be kind of younger people and younger people want to have everything on your doorstep. Why near transport? Well, the majority, a lot of people, especially in commuter towns, they they commute into London every day. So having you know something that's maybe less than an hour is quite ad- advantageous, I would say. And why five thousand square feet? Um, if you look at something too small, say for argument's sake, it's um, somewhere between a thousand and two thousand square feet. If you've got the money to do to self great, you'll be able to get three or four apartments out of it. If you don't, and you're starting out then you're going to have to bring an investor on board and bring in an investor on board and going through a JV agreement and an option contract and development agreement and setting up a, a company or an SPV, going through all that and then paying for the planning and then converting the building into, say, two to four apartments. If you if you sell it all, I mean, say for I take each apartment's five, 500 grand, uh, you're in for, into it for um, two million. Uh, you work backwards, twenty percent profit on GDV. You're looking at about maybe four hundred grand profit after two years of worth of work. If you break that down, it's a hundred grand a year. I know it sounds like a, mo- a lot of money, but it's not for the it's risk. Not, it's not even, when you look at the risk, and yeah. also two hundred grand to an investor who's dumping up a lot of money and guarantee. You know, he's going to have to be on the hook for a PG as well. And he's covering the planning. And then there's a risk involved as well. So 200 grand to invest it these days isn't a huge amount of money. So that's why I would encourage you to probably look for something maybe three, four, five thousand square feet. Um, because that'll really start to get an, uh, get an investor excited at those kind of numbers. And you're probably into it by maybe eight or 10 apartments. But that kind of comes back to the question, what, what happens if I've never done eight to 10 before? Well, you need to probably partner with maybe someone like myself or maybe another developer who's got that track record experience who can bring that to the table and then the banks will feel happy and secure that the money they're lending is is going to be lent to someone who can actually, you know, do the development. Yeah. And... Uh... 
a question that I see a lot is when people looking at development is how to work out the GDV. So the end value. Yep. Um, so the gross development value for people who, who are not sure about that. Uh, what do you think in a, you know, where do people start with that if they're not sure or they, do they just bring the deal to you and say, this looks good. What do you think? <laughs> um, I think you do need to have a bit of an understanding on the numbers because 90% of stuff that you look at won't work. A, because it won't work from a planning perspective, but B, maybe there's just something about the development that is just a little bit off-putting. But then if you get through those two scenarios and get to the next stage, it's going to be down to numbers. And nine times out of 10, it's going to fail because it's been priced too high by a vendor or more, more importantly, probably an agent who's been involved. That's why I'm you know, I try and not go through agents. I, I just go you know, do my own direct vendor stuff. And, and and that's how we've built our whole portfolio off the back of that. But um, the GDB is a good question. I'm still a little bit old school. So I like going to Rightmove and Zoopla and trying to compare like for like, you know, if, I've, if I'm going to be building a block of flats and there are two bedrooms and one bedrooms uh, in a nice area close to the station, try and find something similar uh, and, that's a good metric because you can get to see what it was advertised for, you know, is it sold? Is it not? Um, so I do two or three cents checks. One is I do my own research uh, and find out what I think it's selling for in the area. Then I speak to local agents, um, but I don't just speak to any local agent. I normally try and find uh, a land and new homes agent in the area because they're far more experienced for analyzing deals and telling you much more accurate prices compared to say a normal uh, sales and lettings agent they really understand the whole new build concept and they'll actually break it down by floor they'll actually break it down and tell you what floors are more expensive and and which are cheaper they'll break it down as a pound per square foot as well so it'll be a far more accurate appraisal than what you'll get from anyone else and then i probably go on to like a prop software like Searchland or nimbus and um, they have pound per square foot layers on there and that gives you about uh, an average across a whole area and i think between the three you'll have a good sense of where um, where that gdv needs to be right okay and so, okay, so people like just do the, they, they they can do a high level, right? Just to kind of work out whether this is worth bringing to the table or not, as you said there. Yeah. Um, and do you prefer to find an empty site, like an infill site that's that's got, you know, perhaps no planning or some planning on and then just build out? Or would you prefer to find a project that, you can do something with let's say convert a hotel or a pub or a um something existing um i would always encourage everyone to look at something that's a brownfield site so something that's previously developed something that has a structure there already such maybe maybe like a mixed use scheme or a commercial building or uh, maybe an office or whatever it is uh and explore pd first because it's straightforward yeah. uh it's quicker it's cheaper and there's less surveys that need to be attached to a planning application uh i will never knock infills which you mentioned they're, i think they're fantastic i think corner plots infills garden land assembly all fantastic but um i've certainly learned over the years now that um, even though they're great opportunities they're long and tiresome yeah. It takes takes 
at least two, three times longer to get through planning than a PD application. It's far more expensive because they can keep coming back to you and asking you for more surveys. Um, you, I tend to front load my planning applications, which means um, instead of people coming back to me and asking me for more information or asking me to withdraw it or refuse it and come back at a later stage, I kind of go a little bit overkill and actually give them way more information that they need. So then um, there's no reason to refuse. But as a consequence of that, I'm probably spending, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 more on planning applications. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is with everyone listening to this, I would definitely encourage everyone to look at um, commercial buildings. PD straightforward is quicker, it's easier, it's cheaper. There's a lot more of, of those opportunities available in the market now uh, than there ever has been because of COVID. Um, and um, I still believe that there's a, still a, a decent short window, probably of about another two to three years before a, a lot of developers find out about what, what's out there under PD. B, a lot of vendors find out what they can do with their buildings because uh, you'll often find uh, there's a short window, maybe two or three years, the, then everyone finds out about it. Then the owners find out about it. The owners get PD and then they want to get the PD and sell it before, you know, with the planning attached. So this can kind of strip more meat off the bone. Um, and then obviously all the training companies find out about it. So I would say, yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would I would encourage everyone to, to be looking at PD right now because I think it's uh, probably in the history of of doing what we're doing. There's never been a better time to, to look for these opportunities. Um, and for people who aren't familiar um, with this uh, PD and the window opportunity, do you, want to, do you want to just briefly mention the changes that happened uh, in August? Was it 2021? Yeah. And yeah. and why now? So you've got a list of these opportunities under the PD changes, like industrial and commercial changes, etc. So um, just kind of mention what that window is. And also yeah. out of that window is commercial I know you mentioned it just there would commercial be your favorite out of all those changes in the opportunities um it would be but for some reason every development I'm doing right now are all new built from the ground up um okay. I haven't actually gone out of my way to do that but it just happens to be that out of all the sites we found all the letters we sent and it was a mix of, of everything it just happens that um the opportunities that did come forward and get agreed happened to be from new build from the ground up but um I'm really still keen to to do the commercial the commercial uh, commercial Terezi. So, what does that look like? Um, all right. So, the government were worried um, that when COVID happened, not a lot of people would reopen their shops, and in, even out of the ones who would reopen, they were worried that people wouldn't come back into the office environment because they were still, you know, COVID wouldn't just go away overnight. So. They had uh, a worry on their hands. They were worried that basically the country would turn into a whole load of ghost towns, uh, uh, buildings shut down, no one in them. So what they did very cleverly was they said that we, we know that the planning system is a bit convoluted and takes time. So instead of having a commercial building and, you know, you need to get planning to go from, say, one use class to another, and that takes time and money. We're just going to create one super class E. And they amalgamated and put together all the old use classes all into one use class, class E, which is fantastic. Why? Because now if you own a commercial building, and it's on a high street or uh, location for, for argument's sake, you can um, change it from um, 
uh, a doctor's to dentist, a dentist to an office, an office to retail, a retail to a bank, a bank to an estate agents, all literally overnight without planning. Why? Because it's they're all the same use class. That's fantastic. That means if you want to keep renting out your commercial building, you can. You've now how, how you now have a whole host of different tenants that now um, uh, you, you weren't able to attract before. But what they cleverly did as well is they brought out something called Class MA, which meant that if anything that's winning Class E, you can now use Class MA to convert it to residential all under PD. Now that was game changing. Why? Because there was a lot of buildings that were historically quite difficult to um, to convert. Um, doctors, dentists, nurseries and creches, everything within kind of D1 and D2 use class. Remember now D1, D2 doesn't exist anymore. It's class E. So um, that's kind of created a really interesting opportunity. But also what happened was um, B1C light industrial, it did have PD previously and it timed out. Like sometimes when the government bring out a PD right, it'll have a time code attached to it and it'll time out at a certain day in the future. And the reason they do it is they would just want to test it for a short period of time to see if it works. And if it works really well, like Office Therese did, they'll just take off the time code and just let it run indefinitely. Sometimes like Light Industrial, they weren't too sure about it. So they put a time code on it, timed out, and they just didn't bring it back. But when Class E was brought out, that was one of the more interesting um, scenarios of the whole situation that, that they brought. Uh, light industrial back into the mix as well. They put that back into Class C, which now means it's got PD again. A lot of people don't know that. So um, what are the things to be focusing on? So let's look at Class E. What is it? So it's A1 and A2. So that's uh, retail, banks, financial, estate agents, all the typical stuff that you find on a, on a high street. You've got B1A office, B1C light industrial, D1, D2, that's all kind of medical and educational stuff. Um, that all falls within Class E now. These are the type of buildings you need to be focusing on. But also, what's more important as well, people don't realize this, another PD that came out at the same time was Class uh, AA and Class AB, which allow you to do two, up to two additional stories above commercial units, whether it's in a, a, a detached form or um, um, a terrace form. Um, that's quite interesting because now you could look at the same building and whereas before you could only look at it as a conversion opportunity, now you should be looking at it as a conversion, but also uh, a new build in the airspace opportunity. So you should be, if you're looking at sites, you know, with the potential of adding value twice, one as a conversion and one as an airspace opportunity, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to get those deals a stack. Absolutely. So yeah, it's just just it's like a doors. double, a double value add. A hundred percent, exactly. Mm. Um, the only thing I would kind of um steer people and uh, to be a little bit cautious of, not every single building, uh, can hold the additional weight bearing load of an additional two stories because it was never built for a two story building, uh, two additional stories on top. So what I would encourage everyone to do is uh, when you're doing it, um, work it out, see if you can get it to stack. If it does stack, then uh, the first point of call should really to be to, to have a conversation with a structural engineer just to make sure um, that if you were going to build it out, that that building can, um, can, can, can uh, take the additional weight uh, that you're suggesting. 
Um, but bear in mind, you can get planning without uh, a structured survey. It's not part of the planning uh, process. So um, there, there's actually a lot of people getting planning and, and just selling sites on. Wow. So much, so much we've covered. Uh, I think we could just carry on talking all day, but it's been really, really uh, useful, interesting, so many different tips and um, advice there. So thank you. Uh, just to kind of wrap up then. So you're, uh, you mentioned before about you do some um, mentoring, coaching for your, for your, uh, some of your mentees. And what do you notice about people who are coming to you and working with you? Um, what is the difference between the people who make a success out of it and the ones that don't? Um, I guess you need to be 100% committed Um there's an old saying about if you need to take the island, you need to burn the boats. And I think that's my approach with anything. If you're going to be successful in life, you just have to commit 110% and know that um, it won't happen overnight, but you certainly um, with the right people, surround yourself with the right people, the right knowledge, the right training, the right mentorships, the right courses, everything. Um, I'm a massive advocate of personal development and ongoing training um, because without that, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So you need to be hundred percent focused, hundred percent committed. I know it's going to take a little bit of time. Hence why I said, have some sort of income coming in the meantime. So it takes that pressure off the people who don't make it are the ones that don't have an income coming in that need to be successful within six months. Yeah. And then when they're not successful with six months, they quit because they've got to go back to day job. Um, so just have that income coming in. That'll take an awful lot of pressure off you, uh, which will free up your mind into just, you know, do what you need to do. Um, but yeah, they're the kind of things I would suggest. Um, be just very, really cautious and careful with who you choose as a mentor as well. There's a lot of questionable mentors out there, which, um, never have never done a development or, um, you know they're good salespeople, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't go to them for help or advice or or to help with my career. Um, also, I would say starting out as well, you need to be working with investors. So maybe even have that as a USP that you track and monitor every week and every month. People, how many people have you spoken to? How many meetings you had? How many coffees you had? How many people have kind of said yes? They would be potentially willing to work with you if you find the right deal. Um, and then when it comes to the right deals, just, you know, you do need, forget about relying on other people to give you deals. That doesn't happen. Um, you need to take ownership of that and you need to be good at site finding and you need to be good at planning. Why? Because if you, if you're good at finding sites, you have probably the most amount of authority within that JV structure. Why? Because you could take that deal anywhere. You could take it anywhere. So um get good at that you'll be able to, you'll be paid handsomely for it and you'll be able to structure good deals with people where you might be able to stay in the deal and not just earn and learn but also get a nice profit share on the back end but yeah you need to be 100% committed and focused because if you're not um and if you're not if you're if you just if money is your mo your driving factor your motivating factor with this i promise you you'll drop out because it's not enough to get you up on a cold morning in a winter uh it's like going to a gym isn't it you know, the ones who love the gym won't find it an issue, but the ones who, you know, uh, have a question over um, uh, their motivation going, they're the ones that falter a little bit in the winter. So I would say probably have the same approach when it comes to doing developments. 
Fantastic. Wow. That sounds like a good place to wrap up. Uh, where can people find out more about what you're up to now and uh, on social media? Is that if you've got a preferred channel? Um, you're more than welcome to catch us on our website, which is mombatnestates.co.uk. Um, I'm on, I think, nearly every social media. So uh, um, Facebook, I'm on, and Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, uh, to say a few and um yeah we look we 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 run courses whether on it's online or or weekends um i do webinars so you might be able to catch me on there as well but reach out to us on any any media or through the website and we can tell you what we're doing um also one thing as well i'm going to finish on i'm a massive advocate of networking um I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't meet the team that I have and the investors I'm working with and what have you. So a large part of that was me being getting out of my comfort zone, getting out from behind a laptop, um, going into um, um, uh, uh, property networking events and social gatherings to meet the people. Uh, that's where you need to, that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to meet your team. That's where you're going to meet your investors. So uh, we do run uh, golf and clay shooting and car track days, and we bring lots of good quality people together. So if you're looking for team or investors or people at JV, where I've got some really good events when a lot of good people are, and a really good network I'd like to introduce to everyone. So yeah, reach out to me if you've got an interest in, in growing your network as well. Fantastic. It sounds like a good excuse to do some networking. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for your time, Dave. It's been really, really useful and uh, and insightful. So thank you very much. Lovely. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, everyone. Okay. And if you are not yet a subscriber to the magazine, please click the link in the show notes for your free 30-day trial. See you next time, guys.